0: never too young to know where we're going in life. How many of you wish that you would have known where you were going when you were a seventh grader, an eighth grader? I asked my grandson last night. He was at my house. I said, what what are you going to be when you grow up? Because uh, I see gifts in him. I see talents in Jack. And uh, he said, well, I think I'll be an engineer. Now, you know, next week he might be going to be something else. But at least last night he thought he knew where he was going. Isn't that good? Instead of, I have no clue why I'm here. I just think it's so important that uh, we find our way in Jesus. We find our way to freedom in Jesus. We find our way for where we're going in life from Jesus. And today I want to share a message with you that um, in the beginning of the year, I shared a word about mid, uh, mid-course correction for multiplication. And uh, we focused a lot on multiplication and what God's going to do. Um, I believe he is Multiplying in the lives of the people of this church i believe there's an abundance financially spiritually emotionally physically for every person in this church because that's what god said he was going to do this year and uh, today i want to talk about correction everybody say oh love it (laughs) you know none of us really enjoy correction all that much but uh with god correction takes us to another level it opens another door it brings a place of freedom everybody say freedom and uh, i really felt today to uh, minister to all of you uh, to be set free from yourself how many of you think that'd be a good eye good eye how many of you know that the person that gives you the most trouble is you if you don't know that I'm telling you (laughs) today i've learned from experience after all these years that the greatest problem that i have is me and what i think you know which pastor bill talked about and then pastor john talked about our words and we need to have big words and we do we need to speak what god speaks but you know there can be determined determinants to those words if there are things in our life that those words aren't going to work until we take care of those things you know, we can talk them all day long. We can actually even try to do things to make things better. How many of you have ever tried to make things better and it got worse? I've been down that road a few times. And my intentions were right. My my, my motive really was right. But there were things in me, you know, that, that needed to be taken care of that prevented me from really being free to do the things that God had called me to do. And um, I don't know why, but yesterday morning when I woke up, I felt to call this message... Will you accept this rose? How many? Yes. How many of you have ever seen The Bachelor? It seems if you get enough people together, women or men, the person of the opposite sex can find somebody to marry in a few weeks. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't know that it works that way. Uh, You know, I think time will prove. I did see the last um, Bachelor... Not the one, I think there's one going on now, but the one before this. And I admired that young man because he said, there will be no sexual encounters in this relationship until we're married. And he said it on TV. How many of you that takes boldness? You know, he understood. He must understand that, you know, it's not because sex is bad or you shouldn't have sex. I don't even know how I got over here. I didn't say this in the first (laughs) service. (laughs) I don't usually teach on sex. It isn't exactly my forte. But... Uh, Sex is a good thing in the right place, but in the wrong place, it causes people to be in bondage to one another and they don't even know they've become that because it's a spiritual principle. And so I I thank God that, um, that I've learned over the years to be very bold with young people. Because I have a desire to see them be full of the love of God, be able to be full of the grace of God, the mercy of God, and to see the things that God has for their lives. And uh, so when I say, will you accept this rose, you know, 33 years ago, Valentine's Day, this past Friday, my husband and I had our first date. The Lord gave my husband my name in the night and said, this is the woman for you. We had both been through divorce. Uh, you know, he wasn't expecting to hear my name in the night. He just had prayed, Lord, if you have somebody for me, fine. And if you don't, that's okay. I'll just serve you. And in the middle of the night, he heard my name and believe me, my name was a very unexpected name to hear. Can't go into the story right now. But, uh, when he called me and, and spoke to me on the phone, the Lord had told me, and it had been a, three years since I'd ever had a date with anybody ever even encountered a situation where I might be in a relationship, uh, because the Lord protected me. When he called me and I heard his voice on the phone, the Lord said, this is him. And he had told me, I'm going to send you someone who will love you like I love you. And he does. I thank God that the rose that I really accepted was God's choice for me. And I pray that over all of you. If you're single here today, would you raise your hand? Yeah, Father, in Jesus' name. If you have a desire to be married again and you're single. Okay, put your hand. (laughs) Don't be scared to be don't, don't be scared to admit it. Hallelujah. <laughs> they don't know. Well, Lord, if they don't know, show them. And if they do know, then I thank you that the rose they receive will be the right one in Jesus' name. And that Jesus will be the rose that they need for this season because you, you extend that rose to every one of us. And you say, will you accept what I have for you? Will you accept that I love you just the way you are? Will you accept that I am for you? And if I be for you, who can be against you? Will you accept me? Everybody say amen. Amen. I accept Jesus. Yes, because that's the love that is permanent and never goes away. Um, I want to talk to you today about godly sorrow. And I want to share just out of my own life a little bit, but I'm going to talk about Peter first. But let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and uh, verse 10. You know, um, I know people say, I'm sorry. How many of you know it's easy to say, I'm sorry? Uh, it's it's easy to, to say, I love you. It's easy to say a lot of things. But of course, then there's the follow through with, with that, of actually living out that situation or that circumstance. And uh, I've learned in my life that um, sometimes God wants to correct me in a place in my life where I am the person causing the problem, not other people. It's things in my life that either I don't know, didn't know, were there, and God wants to fix them, or there are things in my life that I did know, and I let go of them due to situations and circumstances. How many of you know the pressures of this world can cause you to let go of what you know to be right and cause you to make a decision that you shouldn't have made. And over time, I made a lot of bad decisions in, when I was a young person. And, uh, and so I carried a lot of sorrow and a lot of grief, a lot of regret uh, in situations. I was born again. I knew the Lord. I, I even prayed in, in the Holy Ghost and prayed in tongues. And, and I prayed for other people. And I did a lot of things. But I was locked up on the inside. And, and who I needed to forgive most was me. Everybody say, free me from me. You know, if you're locked up on the inside and you have unforgiveness for yourself, you can never go forward. Never go forward. And, uh, and, and so it caused this sorrow and this grief and this shame. But it was worldly sorrow, grief, and shame. Because in 1979, the Lord moved me and my children to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I only had one set of friends there, didn't know anybody, worked at all Roberts University. In that season... God changed me. He changed me totally as a person. And uh, the first thing he did was he spoke to my heart some things that caused me to have godly sorrow and not worldly sorrow. And I'm going to share that with you today. For godly sorrow produces repentance. Everybody say repentance. That is not a cuss word. You know, a lot of people connect that with the word submit. How many of you know submit is a cuss word? in the church. It is. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I've had a wife come in and say, if you just love me, and he say, if she just submit, you know, well, you know, read read Ephesians five. And and so it says godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Salvation means uh, total well-being. It means health and wholeness and prosperity, everything, peace, joy, love, all those things. Not to be regretted. I want you to say this. There is a sorrow that does not cause regret. See, I had sorrow. I had pain. I had all those things. But I had regret. I had remorse. And I was locked up and I could not go forward. But the sorrow of the world, that's the sorrow I had, produces death would you put the definition of that up in the amplified i just want to share that in the amplified with everybody if you could it it gives a little bit more description now you have to understand in this particular scripture in corinthians paul was addressing the church at corinth and they had made some bad decisions they were doing things incorrectly and they they had to have a mid course correction and paul being the leader uh the apostle over all those churches sent a letter to them to correct them And they got very upset. They didn't like the tone of his letter. They didn't like that he was correcting them. How many of you just love to be corrected? But, you know, in the end, they recognized that that correction was for their good. Everybody say, godly sorrow. And it says, for godly grief and the pain God has permitted to direct, produce a repentance that leads and contributes to salvation and deliverance from evil. Everybody say, Thank God. For deliverance, you know, I I've watched this in people that I've ministered to just recently with my nephew. You know, when he told me, and he came and stayed with us for a while, and he went back to, to Denver and he went back to the lifestyle he was in. He said, "Oh, you don't understand. This isn't me. Uh, the way you are, the way you live, who you are, the way you love God—that's not me. I'm I'm this other person." Well, that's not who he is. That's not who he is. But he has never forgiven himself. So that's who he believes he is. And he's locked up in that belief of who he is because he can't get delivered from evil. Only godly sorrow delivers from evil. And it says, but worldly grief, the hopeless sorrow that is characteristic of the pagan world is deadly, breeding and ending in death. And so when we are sorrowful, you know, it's, we need to be sorrowful when we make a mistake but we need to have godly sorrow and not worldly sorrow. Otherwise, we become locked up in condemnation, fear, doubt, and unbelief. And I believe today God wants to set a lot of people in this room free. I believe he did it in the first service. I believe he'll do it in the second because when you get locked up in this place where you don't forgive yourself, where you can't get free, and even the word of God becomes a conviction. I'm telling you, once I, once I was raised in church. Once I knew Jesus, was filled with the Spirit of God. And then I was divorced. I'd come out of divorce. I was in another bad relationship. And every sermon I heard, you know what I heard? If you're divorced, you're a sinner. That was truth. But I didn't know how to get free. So I just kept saying I'm sorry and feeling bad about what I did. But God has a way to be free. Everybody say to be free. He doesn't want you to live in that prison of that of that lie yes divorce is sin but God sent his son Jesus to die for the sins of the world and as soon as he takes away the sin there is hope for a future that's why he says that you must repent everybody say repent so I say to you today will you accept this rose will you accept this word that if you repent you will be free if you repent you will be free And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a traumatic experience, but it does have to be something in your heart that you know. And uh, I was looking at the story of, of Peter. How many of you know about Peter? You know, in the New Testament, he was a disciple. He was a gung-ho disciple. He loved to, to always, you know, be right up there at the front of the line. Uh, and, and so it talks about in Matthew 14, I'm just going to paraphrase for time's sake. But in Matthew 14, you know the story where Jesus walked on the water because they were all in fear and the boat was rocking. And so Jesus goes out and he speaks to the disciples and say, says, you know, it's all right it's me and Peter says if it's you I mean anytime Jesus talked to the disciples it's you read it he says he talked to all of them but Peter's always the one that speaks up he's always the one that has and and he he wants to be everything that God wants him to be I'm sure he did and God wanted him to be something for him but in those places God had to bring correction to Peter several times for his zeal for his quickness for the things that he did and in in Matthew 16 Jesus uh the disciples said you know they're just they're saying all these things about you Jesus but uh Jesus said to them well who do you say that I am and of course Peter spoke up and he said you are the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus said to him flesh and blood did not reveal this to you everybody say flesh and blood he said that was a revelation was what he was saying from the spirit that you know who I am. And then he, he goes on and he says, and your name is Peter. And the name Peter means Petra, it means rock. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And, you know, that's, that, was a, that was a word to Peter. I don't know that Peter got it exactly, but I know Peter would have been willing. He would have just said, yes, sir, I'm, take me. And so in that situation, he went, you know, he went on and he said, and, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, that's very important, the gates of hell, everybody say the gates of hell, cannot prevail against God's will. That's a truth. And, and so uh, he went on. It wasn't just a few scriptures later that Jesus began to explain that he was going to be crucified and that he would be taken out of this world. And it says in the Amplified Version that Peter took Jesus aside. Can you imagine today Jesus up here telling you stuff, and one of you come up here, Dan comes up and says, excuse me, I need to talk to you. You're not, that isn't right. But that's what Peter did. He he pulled Jesus aside and told him, you know, that's not right. And Jesus said very firmly, it says, he rebuked him and said, Satan, get behind me. What was he saying? You're believing what man says instead of what God says. And see, when we get in those places uh, where we believe what man says instead of what God says, we get ourselves locked up in a place where we can't be free to be who God wants us to be. And the Lord knew that. It says uh, just a few scriptures later in Matthew 26 that when Jesus uh, was getting ready to go to the cross, he was speaking with all the disciples, Peter, John, and all of them were there, and he talked about someone would betray him. And, uh, and, and of course, you know, Peter said, I will never betray you. I mean, you can go and read the story. He said, I will never do that. I will go to the death with you. Well, how many of you know Peter denied Jesus three times? So, you know, his intention was right, but the ability to do that was still Peter trying to do it and not a revelation of who was going to make that happen in his life. Just a few scriptures later in, in, in the word, Jesus said, now, uh, Peter, James, and John sit here, pray, and I'm going to go and pray. And he prayed that, that he, the cup would pass from him, that he wouldn't be crucified. But he said, nevertheless, your will be done to the Father. He went back, and it says he said to Peter, what are you doing? You're asleep. Could you not even stay awake one hour? Everybody say correction. Now, all these things in Peter's life were not to hurt Peter. They were to bring Peter to a place where he could be that rock upon which God would build the church, the rock of revelation that Peter had, that Jesus was the Christ. How many of you read the book of Acts or know the book of Acts? You have to know the things that Peter experienced in the book of Acts. He had to know who he was and he had to know who Jesus was in the book of Luke. Jesus had said to him, the devil, Satan himself desires to sift you as wheat, But I have prayed that you will not fail. And then he says, and when you return. Everybody say, and when you return. He said, and when you return, knowing that Peter was going to pass the test. But you know, it looks like Peter failed the test. I mean, he denied Jesus three times. All of this in one chapter of Matthew 26. All of this happens in Peter's life in one chapter. He's on again, off again, on again, off again. And in the end, it says the last time that he... He denied Christ, and the rooster crowed. Just like Jesus said, he wept bitterly. Everybody say bitterly. That is godly sorrow. Weeping bitterly is different than, oh, gosh, I got caught. I better say I'm sorry. Some of you may have heard this before, jailhouse religion. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, they got jailhouse religion? That means they got in a bad place not i'm not saying everybody but people get jailhouse religion i watched my little nephew he got jailhouse religion now he's out there and god's going to teach him the truth and somebody is going to cross his path and rescue him and i speak that every day over his life if you have somebody who's lost you need to be saying that every day over their life he gave me this little figuring and uh, it's a little guy and i played cards with him he played cards in jail first night he was there i said what do you what did you do when you were in jail he said "Played cards i said okay let's play cards and I learned how to play some game called spades. And uh, it took me a long time, but his joy was that he beat me every time. Every time. But I, I didn't care. He was, he was spending time with me. And he, you know, he knew. And so at Christmas, when he was out shopping, everybody say the love of God. When he was out shopping, he said to his mother he was going to get me some uh, uh, card, you know, that I could use to buy something. And he saw this little figuring, figuring and a precious moments. And I love precious moments stuff. And he, got, he said, I want to get that for Aunt Pam. And it's a little guy, and he's in a tuxedo with a hat, top hat, and he's got ace, king, queen in his hand, spade. <laughs> I think he's trying to remind me that he could beat me at spades. But he said, I wanted to get this for you, Aunt Pam. It just, it just broke my heart. I believe he's out there. This little guy is locked up. He has a vision of himself that somebody locked in there when he was little, and he's not free, and he won't admit it, because he can't see it. So somebody has to stand the gap and pray and see to it that that gets broken in his life. Let it be me. Let it be you. Because people need to be free. Jesus saw Peter for who he was going to be. But he told him, you're going to be sifted as wheat. I want to tell you, when you decide to follow Jesus, you will be sifted. Have any of you been in the sifter? Boy, those are little holes that you have to go through to get through that sifter. But God changes you in that process. And so in the process, we see a different Peter when he gets into the book of Acts. Suddenly, suddenly, this man who, who was always thinking he was someone is really someone. What happened? Everybody say godly sorrow. godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. It leads to repentance. When he began to preach in the book of Acts, when he stood up and he said to the people, this is that which the prophet Joel talked about in Acts chapter 2. When people began to break out speaking in tongues, when the power of God hit the place, he began to stand up and speak. This is what this is. And he spoke and he preached. And he said, you have crucified the Son of God. He was very bold. He told them exactly what they'd done. And in that speech, when he got all done, and he talked to 3,000 people, 3,000 people, much bigger crowd than I'll bet he ever expected to preach in front of. Or maybe he thought he was going to. But this time, he had power. He had anointing to do it. Why? Because he had been in the place of weeping bitterly. Everybody say, weeping bitterly. And, and he was free of himself to be who God wanted him to be. And so he was transformed. He was a new man. And at the end of that message, the people said, what do we do? We've done this. We've, we've killed the Messiah. What do we do? And he said, repent. Everybody say, Repent. Repent and you will be saved. He said, repent and the Holy Spirit of God will come upon your life and he will change you and transform you and make you who you need to be. He turned around, he preached again, and he said the same thing. Repent. You know why Peter said repent? Because he had. Because he knew the freedom that came with repentance. I want to tell you today, there's keys that that Jesus told Peter, I will give you the keys to life and death to hell and into the grave that's what jesus said in the book of revelations jesus said to peter i'll give you the keys to the kingdom those are those keys jesus talked about we have those keys turn to your neighbor and say i have a key i read brother copeland in brother copeland's book when i was preparing this message and he said there is a key for everything there is a key to unlock everything that the devil has done in people's lives we just got to find the key we just have to know the key this morning the key that's going to unlock your life is called repentance Now, you say, well, well, I don't even know what I need to repent. I didn't know what to repent of either. When I moved to Tulsa with those three children, I was in that room by myself up there listening to a 33 and a third record that says how old I am. Don't count. It's up there. And um, I was listening to the imperial singing, the same power of God that touched those girls, touched those young people, all of those students in Indianapolis. It is his presence. He came in that room. And you know what he said to me? You have sinned, and I just sobbed. I don't know what happened. I cried and cried and cried and cried. He said, "Divorce is sin. You have sinned. Repent." Well, I'd been saying sorry for a long time. I mean, I tried to fix everything. I tried to do things that made things right, and nothing made me free. But that day, that day, I got free. And you know how I got free? Because Jesus said to me afterward, I'm going to fill you with my love. When I was preparing this message, he said, you may never have understood this, but until you repented, I could not fill you with love. Until you repented, you could not feel my love. You could not know my love because that enemy holds that back from us, withholds it. And what's the hardest thing to say? I really was that bad. How many of you know that's hard to say? You know, how many of you know there's lots of excuses why you were that bad? Well, so-and-so, you know, and then this happened, and then so-and-so did this. None of that brings freedom. Repentance is when we say, I'm the problem. Just practice. I'm the problem. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am the problem. You know, when we're able to say that to Jesus, everybody say, to Jesus. It loses the power of God, the anointing of God to liberate us, and we become free. In the first service, uh, John said, um, John Putts said that in the meeting in Indianapolis, he said, I've, I've understood saying, forgive me. But he said, when I was there, I understood what that really meant. Forgiveness is bigger than what we even know. But when we ask for it, God is so merciful to give it. And the enemy knows that. So he'll cause us to blame everything else for what is going on when the only thing we need to do is say, I did it. I'm guilty, as charged, forgive me, Lord, and whoosh, it's gone forever, forever and ever. Sorry won't get it. Sorry doesn't get it. Sorry's bondage. It brings you into a world system that just says, I'm sorry I got caught, really. Repentance it says, I'm changing my direction and I'm going to do something different. That day in Tulsa, my life changed forever. I believe God wants to change your life forever today. And I believe the key we're going to use today is called repentance.